It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, sadly, longtime civil rights advocate, fighter, and U.S. Congressman John Lewis has passed away. We'll be taking a quick look at his life, and we'll look at his legacy and what it teaches us about our current civil rights movement and our current fight against extremism in America. Also, sadly, we will be continuing our fascism watch as the Trump administration somehow managed to ratchet up its assault on reality this week. But first, on last week's show, I talked about how Trump's poll numbers and the possibility that he will not be reelected president will potentially be bad news in the sense that, boy, are they going to try to loot the country before they are gone. Well, there's been some news on that front. Uh, And I'd like to follow up on that a little bit, the looting of the country. A couple articles from the New York Times, actually, this week. Uh, First, an article on the White House lawyer who had been a longtime shill for the gun industry. Yes, the gun industry has moved to the Trump administration, become a White House lawyer and managed to deliver for the gun industry in that position as White House lawyer. Trump changed a longtime policy and is allowing foreign sales of guns that might ultimately be turned around to be used on U.S. troops. Well, maybe that puts the whole lack of concern about the Russia bounty thing in context. I mean, why be concerned about Russia killing Americans if we have such a strong hand in killing of American soldiers? So Trump, in that article on this, the Times pointed out that I just thought I'm going to read to you a, a passage from that from the article. Uh, Mr. Trump's cabinet includes a former coal lobbyist as administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, a former lobbyist for the defense contractor Raytheon, Raytheon Technologies as defense secretary, a lobbyist for the auto industry at the helm of the energy department, and a former oil and gas lobbyist as interior secretary. Those industries have been sources of funds for Mr. Trump's campaign and committees supporting it. Just in case that's not clear enough, this is graft, pure and simple. I thought that that just hearing it, I've obviously talked about the number of industry lobbyists in this administration, important positions since this show started. But I think to see those four important positions being run, manned, so to speak, by people whose we can expect sole interest is in delivering for the industries they've been well paid to work for is I think it's just sort of mind blowing a little bit there. It barely is a fraction of the number of lobbyists and corporate hacks throughout the Trump administration, but it really does say something, the helm of power in the United States government. And in case it's, it's not clear what's going on there, they're looting the country. It's, it's really Pretty much that simple. They are looting the country on behalf of some of the worst industry. And we're talking oil and gas lobbyists. This industry that's been destroying the planet and lying about it for decades. They've known they've been destroying the planet and lying about it for decades. Lobbyists for the auto industry. The auto industry hasn't exactly covered itself in glory 
over the last few years with all the, the cheating and destruction of the planet and killing of Americans they've been doing. Defense contractors selling arms. Also, this this is like, um, thank you for not smoking. We've talked about with a the comedy written by a now a banned member of the of the conservative elite uh, making fun of the lobbying industry by demonstrating three lobbyists for smoking tobacco, uh, smoking, drinking and firearms. This is this is now what is running the United States of America, running it simply to enrich themselves, not do anything for this country. In fact, the exact opposite. Also in, in that front, another article in the New York Times, Trump announces the gutting of the National Environmental Policy Act. I was recently interviewed by a former uh, member of our show, member of our team on the show, Ryan Rivera, who's putting together a documentary uh, on COVID crisis. And he wanted to interview me to get some, my thoughts on, on some things on COVID and, and other things and the way I've been getting through it. And I hope to have excerpts of that interview up on Forward Nation soon. But one of the things he asked me is, do, do you think that all that with all that's going on with COVID, do you think that people are distracted? And that this has allowed the Trump administration to do a lot of really bad things without people noticing. And the answer to that question, it's it's almost a rhetorical question. The answer is so obviously, yes, that's why Ryan had asked it. Well, here's here's one. Uh, did you hear this, that he was gutting the National Environmental Policy Act? Again, I will read to you a brief excerpt from the article that talked about this. President Trump announced Wednesday that he's rolling back a foundational Nixon-era environmental law that he said stifles infrastructure projects, but that is credited with keeping big construction projects from fouling up the environment and ensuring there is public input on major projects. Oh, that's bad. That was me. That wasn't part of the quote. Going back to the quote. The 1970 law changed environmental oversight in the United States by requiring federal agencies to consider whether a project would harm the air, land, water, or wildlife and giving the public the right to review and input. This may be the single biggest giveaway to polluters in the past 40 years, said Brett Hartle, Government Affairs Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, an environmental group that works to save endangered species. Maybe the single biggest giveaway to polluters in the past 40 years, not exactly a national story. Uh, it's not, of course, just a payoff. From uh, from the perspective of Donald Trump, though, it certainly is a payoff. You can bet that he will be getting a lot out of this, both in campaign contributions and in personal wealth. Sacrificing Americans and sacrificing the planet for your own personal financial well-being, of course, is nothing new for Donald Trump or anybody in the Republican Party. But of course, it's, it's not just that some of the key there was Donald Trump saying that it stifles infrastructure projects. And someone asked me about this in my class a couple of weeks ago. And I, I point out what's going on here is this is also an excuse for Trump. This is a win-win for him. Not only does, does he get to fleece America and, and profit off of it, but he gets to explain his failure to do anything about infrastructure. Remember when he ran for president and he said, I'm going to be the infrastructure president. And since that time, it has become an absolute joke that every week is infrastructure week during the Trump administration because they never actually do anything. They just keep announcing infrastructure week. Well, now he's got his excuse because Donald Trump, a man who spent his life not actually accomplishing anything, but spending his time figuring out how to blame everybody else for what he screwed up. And in this case, he's figured out how to blame the environment for the fact that he's had absolutely no interest in investing in infrastructure. 
The other thing here, of course, is what's going on. This is another example of people like Donald Trump, rich people in this country, who simply think that they should have no obligation, that they are entitled to have other people pay for their own shit. You want to build something? Why should you worry about the costs that you are inflicting upon other people on the planet? You're rich. You don't have to worry about these things. And that, of course, also goes back to our recent discussions about accountability and why we're in such trouble because the rich don't have any of that. Anyway, as promised, sadly this week, longtime fighter for civil rights, civil rights advocate, pioneer, and longtime U.S. Congressman John Lewis died at 80 of pancreatic cancer. Mr. Lewis was a civil rights protester who used that ultimately to become a U.S. congressman, during which time he never stopped fighting for civil rights. He has been described, notably, as the conscience of the Congress. I thought that was interesting. The conscience of the Congress. Now, admittedly, he undoubtedly stand out, stands out if you are in Congress and you have a conscience. Well, already that's noteworthy. But it does say something about who he is. He's also known, by the way, apparently in Republican circles, he's sometimes been known as Elijah Cummings. Uh, more on that in a few moments, but I don't want to get sidetracked here right now on that one. Uh, Mr. Lewis, Congressman Lewis, repeatedly put his life on the line in favor of practicing nonviolent social protests particularly relevant right now. He fought during the 1960s, the last great civil rights movement before now in this country. In that sense, maybe it's almost somewhat fitting that he died during the current civil rights protests. In many respects, the ideological heir to the protests that he had spent so much time fighting for and bleeding for in the 1960s. Police violence, which is the primary, primarily the subject of the current civil rights protests, though they are broader than that. But the police violence was nothing new for Congressman Lewis, who was repeatedly beaten by the police as he fought for civil rights. Nor, for that matter, is it new for Congressman Lewis that peaceful protesters would get blamed for violence that was being perpetrated upon them by the police. More and more during our current civil rights movement, as, as information comes out, we are reminded that to the extent that these protests veer from peacefulness, for the most part, it generally is the police that is doing that. Police basically declaring war. Again, we'll have more on this in a few minutes. On peaceful protesters. Maybe the best way to honor Congressman Lewis is to continue with these protests in whatever way we can. I will continue on this show talking about it. And when my family feels able to do it and safely doing it, I will join the protests. But in, I will continue to give money for to causes that support civil rights in this country. The ACLU, the NAACP, others fighting for civil rights, Democratic Party at this point. In whatever ways we can, whatever ways you are able do what you can to honor what he fought for and to try to finally get justice across this country to get civil rights, regardless of, among other things, skin color. So it was, I, I guess, moving off the somber aspect of this discussion right now, it was particularly telling. And yes, 
almost comical, maybe comical, that two Republican senators, Marco Rubio and Dan Sullivan, tweeted a a a tribute to John Lewis, as I guess they felt that they needed to do, given our current climate. It was nice that they treated that they that they felt it was in their interest to tweet a tribute to Congressman Lewis. The problem, of course, as you've uh, likely heard, is that these two Republican senators, in their tribute to this great civil rights leader, managed to use the wrong picture. In fact, putting up a picture of former Congressman Elijah Cummings, who, and I'm sure this is just a coincidence, also happened to be black. Well, you can kind of understand. I think I think after this came out, I think Marco Rubio uh, came out and was indignant about this. Uh, according to the media, we do nothing right. If you just look at the media, we do nothing right. All they're doing is talking about the fact that we put up the wrong picture in our tribute to Congressman John Lewis. Hell, they didn't even point out the fact that we got the color right. I mean, we did get the color right. They're both black. That's Good enough, right? We even got the fact that they're dead right. We got the dead part right. Congressman Cummings having died months ago as well. So why does the media not focus on all we got right? I'm making this up. As far as I know, Marco Rubio hasn't said this, at least out loud. He's probably being a little more careful about what he puts up on Twitter these days. Now, to be fair, in defense of Senators Rubio and Sullivan, it's they really probably it's natural that they would make a mistake like this because you got to remember that there's never more than one black person at any Republican event, anything they've ever been to, basically. Their campaign rallies, there's never more than one black person. They're used to taking that one black person and moving him around in front of the cameras whenever the cameras move. I say this kind of jokingly, but I've talked about this before on the show. They do that. We know they do that. So when they have the Republican convention in another month, they will take the black people, the few black people there, and they will move them around in front of the cameras and say, hey, that guy in the Georgia delegation looks an awful lot like the guy in the South Carolina delegation. And you will be right. It's the same guy. So you can kind of understand why these GOP senators would make this mistake. They're just not used to there being more than one black person and for that one black person to basically be the poster child for every other black person. Is their tweeting the the picture of a wrong the wrong black man racist? Of course it's racist. <laughs> people ask me, of course it's racist. And yes, it's a little bit of all black people look the same or it's not even worth making sure that we get this right. What it mostly is, of course, is pathetically incompetent. A reminder that the Republican Party is not just a party of bigotry, but a party of unbelievable, mind-blowing incompetence. It reminds us of not too long ago, just a few years ago, when Marky Marco, I'm sorry, Marky Marco, as I like to refer to him, Marky Marco was the golden boy of the Republican Party. Remember that just a few years ago? Marco Rubio was the golden boy of the Republican Party until, like every predecessor golden boy of the Republican Party, he was actually introduced to the world, at which point the entire world went, seriously, that's the best you got? That guy? That, that, that's what you got? So, you know, he's trying to claw his way back 
into Golden Boy, obviously uh, on the same playing field as Rick Perry and other Golden Boys of the past. Just a reminder that this is the best the Republican Party thinks it had to offer. This is, you know, the, the Republican Party that that doesn't like the insanity of Donald Trump. Marco, Ruby's, Marco Rubio is one of their guys. Anyway, let's continue. Let's hope that Lewis is honored by all of us keeping up the fight over the next months, years, etc. Because this is an ongoing struggle as we continue to be reminded. We are also reminded as we talk about John Lewis's passing. Why the oversimplifications that are used in our media and our politics, the false equivalents, the attacks on government are so offensive in this country. The oversimplification, oh, they're all the same. Oh, they're all alike. The false equivalents of the left, extremists on the left and the right. Oh, you know, both parties have become so extreme. Several articles I'm written in, I've read in, rather in, in different magazines over the last couple of weeks. Same thing, good articles I've generally liked, but all of them make the same mistake of talking broadly about the extremism in our politics today. Again, without pointing out that it is one side that is extreme. Right now, the other side is finally coming to its senses. And anyone who elides those differences is a problem here. And this is a reminder of that. It is a reminder of the, of the divide in this country of what we've got in the two political parties. One is extremist and one is trying to find its inner decency. Because John Lewis is, make no mistake, as, as we see all these honorariums and encomiums to him, John Lewis is is what passes for an extreme for the extremist left in the Republican Party and our mainstream media. When they talk about the extremist left, let's be clear as they tweet out their honorariums, this is who they mean, people like this. Those honoring him attacked him yesterday and will go back to attacking the likes of him tomorrow. They will just bask in his aura today. John Lewis was a member of the infamous, in Republican circles, Congressional Black Caucus. I've had my experience with morons on the right who think throwing out the name Congressional Black Caucus substitutes for rational thought on any issue. That's, the, that's code name for extremism. It's also, of course, a racist dog whistle, but we won't do that right now. So this is, as we look at false equivalents, this is extremism, so-called, in the Democratic Party. Well, on the other hand, what is extremism on the right? Let's be reminded of that. Well, extremism on the right is Donald fucking Trump and everybody in his administration. A complete and utter lying sack of incompetent criminal shit. What else is extremist on the right? We had some reminders of that in the last couple of weeks. Republican candidates for the United States Senate and House of Representatives who are proudly foot soldiers in the QAnon movement. QAnon. For those of you who are not... Well, here's, here's again, I think this is the New York Times. 
A Republican Senate candidate recently declared herself, quote, one of the thousands of digital soldiers, close quote, in service of QAnon, a convoluted pro-Trump conspiracy theory about a deep state of child molesting Satanist traitors plotting against the president. They're not making this shit up. A congressional, I'm continuing now with the quote from the Times, a congressional candidate in Colorado who made approving comments about QAnon bested a five-term Republican incumbent in a primary last month. And then there is Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Georgia Republican who is perhaps the most unabashedly pro-QAnon candidate for Congress and has drawn a positive tweet from President Trump. She recently declared that QAnon was a, quote, was, quote, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles out, close quote. So on the left, we have an extremist who believes that black have not, blacks have not been treated equally in this country and thinks they shouldn't have the shit beaten out of them for fighting for equality. On the right, we have people who believe that the other side is Satan-worshipping pedophiles. This is, this is beyond insanity. I'll, I'll read a little bit more in the article. More than two years after QAnon, which the FBI has labeled a potential domestic terrorism threat, emerged from the troll-infested corners of the internet. The movement supporters are morphing from keyboard warriors into political candidates. They have been urged on by Mr. Trump, whose own espousal of conspiracy theories and continual railing against the political establishment have cleared a path for QAnon candidate. In other words, the fucking cockroaches are coming out from from the darkness. They're not just coming out in the middle of the night. They're coming out in broad daylight with yard signs, I guess, announcing their candidacy. This is insanity. As everybody's pointed out, Hunan, there is no basis in reality. It is just completely and utterly made up shit. Okay? It was founded or at least promoted by basically three assholes who thought they could use this stupid shit to loot a bunch of morons and have proceeded to do that. Now, these morons are running for political office in America and undoubtedly will prevail in many cases. The head of the New York City Police Department Union went on TV with a QAnon sticker. This is how divided and fucked up this country is. The head of the New York City Police Union wore a fucking QAnon. He might as well be wearing a fucking Avengers badge, you moron. At the same time, of course, it would be laughable, except it matters. We're reading about, right now, the federal assault, the Department of Homeland Security assaulting protesters in Portland. It's part of our fascism watch here. One side, again, false equivalency. One side, we've got peaceful protesters for justice, arguing for civil rights, justice, and accountability. The other side, remember, the so-called police side now is fucking QAnon. It is further reminder again of the categories 
of Trump voter in this country, the people who are buying into this bullshit. One, you've got the bigots and the other morons who are just so motivated by hatred for anybody they're not and anybody who's better than themselves and in their group, that includes pretty much everybody. Just bigots and other morons motivated by hatred and the other category of Trump voters, those who prey on those people. The wealthy scumbags whose wealth is predicated on keeping and and political success is predicated on keeping these fucking morons this stupid. This divide is a reminder why we cannot fight a deadly global pandemic. Because of this divide in this country where one side, the right, is so angry and extreme and so motivated by sticking it to the other side that we can't do the most basic things in this country. This week, Walmart announced that it was requiring all customers to wear face masks. This completely non-news became a huge news story. Here's again the article, Walmart's new policy means the company is wading into the kind of culturally and politically divisive issue that has a history of of avoiding. So now wearing a fucking mask is divisive in America. And as a reminder of that, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp sued the mayor of Atlanta this week for instituting a mask wearing requirement. Now, remember, first of all, the governor, Brian Kemp of Georgia, just remember from our old shows, he is the governor of Georgia because he oversaw, as lieutenant governor, his previous job, he oversaw the election where he stole the election from Stacey Abrams. Wow, the people of Georgia are really feeling that right now. Okay, this is what the right is at this point. Just divide. There's no governing. There's no helping people. It is just anger and resentment at the other side. We're wearing a mask, which is now something that everyone in this country who has any sense at all and knows what they're talking about is now arguing for. This has now become a political issue rather than just fucking do it for public health. So that leads us back to our conversations of free speech. And as we continue this Republican move for misinformation, because it's all they've got, we're going to put that in the context of our discussions of free speech over the last few years. And what we're going to have to do to actually get this country out of the quagmire if we are going to survive what we are in right now. Reported just today as I go to press, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, points out that case numbers in parts of America COVID case numbers being reported, in fact, actual case numbers are 2 to 13 times the amount being reported. I have been talking, when I give the COVID numbers, I've been always putting in the qualification that this is what's being reported and undoubtedly far less than what really is. But even I had no idea how far less it was. The CDC telling us right now, 2 to 13 times more cases than are being reported. Or as Trump and the Trump administration would describe it, well, that's inconvenient. Well, so the Trump administration had better get on wishing that news away because facts might stand in the way of Donald Trump's electoral success. I don't say this very often, but Trump is already all over this one. 
Trump's already all over wishing away reality. Earlier this week, he had ordered that all hospital COVID data bypass the CDC and go right to the White House. That the CDC still has some integrity and is reporting the truth, so it needs to be frozen out of the propaganda process. It's just absolutely remarkable that this goes on and, and this and they get away with this, especially in light of the new news coming out of the CDC, which will just remind the Trump administration why it is so important to freeze the CDC out of the process of dealing with the COVID epidemic because they might actually tell people the truth. So Trump had already ordered that hospital COVID data go around the CDC and right to the right, right to the White House where William Barr can write memos summarizing what that data stands for. That'll, that'll work out well for Americans. Also this week on that front, the White House was, is looking to cut billions of dollars from a current plan to shore up testing and the response to COVID. The White House is looking to cut billions of dollars from testing and anti-disease agencies. And the key part of this story is it's from a Senate Republican proposal. We're not talking Congressional Black Caucus or George Soros here. This is Senate Republicans proposed $25 billion to states for testing and contact tracing and other ways to deal with the crisis. $10 billion to the CDC. $15 billion to the National Institutes of Health, all somehow to help protect us from a deadly global pandemic. $20 billion to the Pentagon. The White House has proposed proposed getting rid of all of that money. All but five of that $70 billion that the Senate Republicans felt we needed to do to get a handle on COVID cutting 65 of the 70 building billion leaving all but 5 billion dollars for the pentagon that's it he'd, he'd reduce the pentagon uh disease fighting funding from 20 billion to 5 billion but he'd still leave 5 billion there. he'd zero out everything else turn it into zero a reminder that that one political party and thoughtful, decent people are trying to do something to protect Americans from a deadly global pandemic. The the Trump administration is just concerned about how do they cover this up? How does this somehow manage to help Donald Trump get reelected in a few months? Head in the sand COVID strategy. Uh, Further indication, again, that Trump has no interest in governing. All he does is campaign. When we talk about the divide in this country and where it comes from, this is a president who doesn't govern. He campaigns. Governing is supposed to be inclusive. Campaigning is supposed to be divisive. Wow. Maybe some people could put two and two together here and understand why Trump supporters are so divided from the rest of us. Again, I don't want to say this country is divided. This country is together except for the millions of fucking moron Trump supporters and Republican followers. Maybe that's what's going on. You know, you, people people have been asking, what, what's Trump doing here? How could he be this stupid? What's his strategy here? How does this possibly help him get reelected? Why did the man 
did not make any effort. He could have been a national hero for doing something about COVID. The American rallies around our president in times like this. We rallied around George W. Bush after 9-11, even though he was an incompetent asshole. We would have rallied around him. It's a reminder of, you know, the fact that we asked that question, a reminder of the fact that Donald Trump is given too much credit. One, he doesn't have a strategy. I've been arguing that from the very beginning. Maybe I'm a little unfair, but I just don't think the man has a strategy. I've said from the very beginning. He's a blunderbuss who's been fortunate enough to be born rich and surrounded himself with people who are even stupider than him or more likely beholden to him. But he's a man who's had no interest ever in governing. The idea that he could govern is just is fantasy. This, this fantasy that, that Trump at some point would decide to govern as the president of this country. I do want to posit the idea just for a second. Maybe I'm wrong and I don't give Trump enough credit. I don't think I am. But maybe this actually is part of Trump's re-election strategy. Think about it. Trump could make COVID so bad that they need to close all these urban voting booths all across America. This could be his path to real. I've talked all along about voter suppression being necessary for any chance Donald Trump has of winning. Well, maybe there's a long-term strategy of making COVID so bad that he prevents absentee ballots. They don't count absentee ballots. They don't send them out to people. And he just closes all the polling places in urban areas so Democrats literally will not be able to vote. I still think I'm giving him too much credit, but let's be fair. I'm giving him too much credit because I don't think he thought about it. Not because I think he wouldn't do it if he was capable of thinking about it. Speaking of divisiveness, speaking of Trump, speaking of the war on information and free speech, the week started with Trump's Rose Garden campaign event. Yes, Donald Trump gave a speech regarding COVID in the in the Rose Garden, uh, which is supposed to be a place for somber and solemn and important public information, but in fact became a Donald Trump campaign event. I'm sure you've heard about this insane, rambling, incoherent, narcissistic, run-on speech that he gave from the from the Rose Garden the campaign event. In other words, it was it was Trump. It was just Trump. Uh, insane, rambling, incoherent, and narcissistic. Uh, it also, you might have missed, by the way, uh, violated the law. Not many people are talking about that. I guess we've become inured to the idea that the president of the United States just breaks the law all the time. The White House venues, uh, federal venues, are not to be used for campaign events. I'm sure the Trump campaign will be reimbursing the White House for that. Sure. Um, of course, it won't because the idea that there is a law that prevents Donald Trump from utilizing federal property, federal auspices, federal government to campaign is absurd. It shouldn't matter to him at all. It never has. Remember back from the very beginning of this administration where even his own family members were busy selling stuff from the White House, selling campaigns, selling their own goods, etc. It's been pointed out that they're not allowed to do that, that that's actually violating, violating the law. Something that Susan Collins, I'm sure, was telling us at the time that they would be learning their lesson because people said tisk tisk about that. Well, uh, as far as uh, learning their lesson, they've continued to keep practicing that. They've continued to use government auspices and government resources for Donald Trump's campaign purposes. Why not? It's part of looting America and not caring about what's good for Americans. They're doing it right now, by the way. This isn't something they've grown out of. 
r- right now as we speak, well, maybe it's still, the ink is drying. On this, what was it? It was Kaylee McEnany again who did this one, was out in the White House as this press spokesperson and talking, lauding Goya and the CEO of Goya because Goya Foods has gotten some bad ink properly recently by the fact that the CEO of Goya is a Trump-supporting piece of human trash who was visiting with Donald Trump and asking for more handouts from him and as a Trump contributor. So yes, those of you who are listening to this show, you should not ever be buying anything from Goya Probably ever again, but certainly until they totally clean house. So anyway, so Donald Trump has this, this real shining moment in the Rose Garden with, where he gives this rambling campaign. It just attacks Joe Biden, everything in absolute insanity. I'm not going to play clips, but it's worth looking some of them up on YouTube if you really want to get a good laugh and or, and or a good cry. So in the wake of this, Donald Trump has just announced that he is going to resume his daily briefings for the press on COVID because... You know, there was such success in that Rose Garden speech. What we are doing is clamoring for more Trump. It is a reminder, the Rose Garden, as Donald Trump announces resuming daily press briefings about how the press should or should not cover Donald Trump. I've argued this before. This president should just not be covered. I I really think he should not be covered. I think he should be rendered irrelevant by the media. But to the extent that he's not rendered irrelevant by the media, how do you cover him? The media will always cover him because he entertains. Well, let's make it clear that this, the president of the United States is now out there, not ever for the truth of what he asserts, but simply for entertainment purposes. So I have a couple of suggestions. When Donald Trump speaks at a daily briefing or anywhere else, they put on a big, color, colorful, comical truth meter, maybe a cartoon truth meter, where as he speaks, you see the, uh, the, the, the pendulum point, the arrow point towards pants on fire, blatant lie. Oh my God, there's something in here that might actually be kind of close to true for those rare moments in case something close to true actually slips out. But they should have this like comical meter on the screen that will not only inform the public when he's lying, which will be pretty much all the time, but will make him the joke that he deserves to be. In fact, I think one of the things that they should do is they should do him as, as a clown. When Donald Trump, we, we, there should be a game. They should do this online. They should do this on CNN. My Roku is like interactive on some things. My kids, just like they can on their, on, on my phone, they should be able to like put clown pictures, clown makeup on Donald Trump as he speaks. CNN should do that. Our media should do that. They should make the man a clown and put a truth meter in front of him. They should make sure that he is presented to the American public as the joke that he is in case anyone out there watches Fox News and is too fucking stupid to understand a joke when it's not actually pointed out to them this blatantly. All these pieces of news are are a reminder that Trump lives in a fantasy world of his own ego that he's managed to bring his supporters and most of the Republican Party in along with him. The rest of us shouldn't be joining in that world. Speaking of that world, when Donald Trump starts doing his press briefings again, he should have Peter Navarro and Deborah Burks with him. Dr. Deborah Burks, our infectious disease expert and two people who have so covered themselves with glory by being complete Trump lackeys and finding the truth not to matter anymore. Maybe they can have with him the top Trump aide who was tweeting out the anti-Fauci cartoon this week. Containing lies by an anti-Semitic artist, an artist who's famed for his anti-Semitic 
uh, tweets and his anti-Semitic cartoons. Let's have the Trump aide who is furthering, who is retweeting that person's work. Let's have them up on the stage, that person up on the stage with Donald Trump. Let's finally ask the media, as Trump speaks on COVID or anything else, to give equal time as we approach the election to, you might recall, that there's somebody else running for president in 2020, that person being Joe Biden, the Democratic candidate. And let's maybe remind Americans that as opposed to Donald Trump and his self-aggrandizing fantasy world, we have a presidential candidate who actually has a strategy for dealing with the problems of this country, including COVID. Yes, then Americans might remember Joe Biden. You know, I, I keep having conversation hearing from people about how B- Biden should keep doing what he's doing. As long as Trump continues to self-immolate, Biden should just lay low. Problem with that is Biden actually isn't laying low. <laughs> I didn't even know. Biden has actually been going, giving campaign events all the time, and he's been coming out with policy all the time. You would just think he's lying low because the media never bothers to cover it. A reminder, again, for all of us of how unbelievably susceptible we are. We all talk about propaganda, but we don't really understand how it affects even us. How susceptible we are to the media and the media narrative and the media not covering something. Biden is out there. He is out there saying intelligent things and decent things and making intelligent proposals. It's just not being covered because the jackass in in chief is doing things so incredibly comical and outrageous. But I was reminded this week that Joe Biden has come out, among other things, with an environmental jobs program which you might not have heard about because nobody's heard about it pretty much. He's come out with an environmental jobs program as a response is trying to deal with the COVID crisis and its aftermath, the recession that it has unleashed on America, the unemployment it has unleashed. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. It's so simple and it's so obvious. I've been arguing this for years and years on this show and in class. America has needed to invest in itself and needed to get ready for a sustainable future. We could do that by hiring millions of people to give us sustainable energy and to fix this country's crumbling infrastructure. It was the one thing on the campaign I said, well, at least if Trump does that infrastructure, at least he's got something right. It's, of course, he did something, as I indicated, he's got no interest in doing because he actually had gotten, gotten that one right. America's needed infrastructure. America's needed to get ready for the 21st century. America's needed to improve its mass transit, its internet, its solar power, its wind power, all these things that America has needed to do to fix the world and fix this country. And once again, as they have been for more than a decade, the stars are aligned for us to do what we need to do. The stars are aligned Because we need to hire millions of people and give them jobs. We need to stimulate our economy. We also need to invest in infrastructure. Bing, bing. We also, by the way, the federal government can borrow money to do all these things and almost no money. Everything is perfect. Everything is aligned to fix this country and come out of this crisis better and stronger and more prepared to survive and compete in the future than we have ever been. And amazingly, we've got a presidential candidate who's actually arguing for that. Spending billions and billions of dollars putting Americans to work to fix this country. Oh, there's just 
one last star that we need to line. That last star is we need to throw the bums who are currently running this country out of office. Anyway, I've got a couple more things I wanted to talk about regarding free speech and information in this country, including the now famous Mary Trump interview with Rachel Maddow and the New York Police Department proposing new rules to bar press coverage of what they're doing. But we're running a little long today, so I'm going to save that till next time. I hope to get back to you soon because one of these days I'm going to actually cover the recent uh, spate of Supreme Court decisions. I hope to get back to you in a few days with that. Until we're back at you, stay safe. Stay well. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 